So we are sitting here with uh, Dr. Roger Patelny, um, who is the Associate Professor at Wollongong University, and he has founded the Contemporary Emotions Research Network. You seem to have studied a really vast number of topics, including, you know, connection and uh, trust and um, volunteering. I have been involved in research in various capacities. I've always been interested in this idea of social connection. What holds us together as a people, as a society, as a nation. So I've been interested over the years in things like uh, volunteering, uh, the trust that people have for each other in general society, social interaction, uh, formation of social networks, time that people spend being social and hanging out with each other. But I'm also been very interested in the emotional aspects of it, how it makes people feel and what people do with those feelings in terms of acting on them or potentially suppressing them. Where this has led me to is... Uh, the study of loneliness. Loneliness is at the intersection of um, sociability and emotions. Out of everything that you've looked at, what are some of the more surprising findings? What is interesting is that the connections you have with others don't necessarily lead to you feeling more or less lonely. So, for example, um, somebody might have, uh, you know, 100, 500, 1,000 followers on Facebook but still feel incredibly lonely. Somebody might be relatively introverted and spend little time interacting with anybody outside their immediate household, but they've got one or two sort of, you know, good friends and they feel great. Loneliness is about the quality of connection that you have with people, not necessarily the number. That might seem obvious, but it sure doesn't stop people, you know, sitting there on Facebook collecting, busily collecting as many friends as they can collect. Another quick one is that loneliness and connection is gendered. There are some different and interesting patterns between men and women. Uh, I'm talking in aggregate heteronormative uh, you know, men and women relation. I'm a single dad myself. When I started to try and move and interact within predominantly female networks as a parent, you know, like I'd go down to the park with my kid and try and interact with the other mums there. And they were all mums. There was almost no dads. They were nice enough, but it was weird. It was a space where they had a particular way of interacting and I was coming into it and they didn't really know how to handle me that got me very interested in 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 the social networks that men men and women uh, move through and one of the things i found out is in some of my research is um men and women can be excluded in different ways a lot of women are excluded from interaction with others um through not uh having the same sort of financial capacity and freedom as men to go and do stuff particularly single mum but a lot of men are excluded from interaction with others because men are just worse at making friends and, and social networks for the most part. They often rely on their female partners to sort of facilitate that. And, and so they tend to have higher rates of loneliness. When you say that they're worse at um, kind of making friendships, what about them makes them worse at making friendships? The caveat is I'm generalizing because, well, sure. you know, I'm a sociologist, that's kind of what we do. Um, <laughs> the main reasons that I can pick up on are some parts of the sort of masculine culture, which is oriented towards men being sort of more strong and silent and not being either expressive of their emotions and their vulnerabilities or being interested in less listening to vulnerabilities. A lot of people, men and women, turn to women when they want to talk about something that, you know, is, is, is vulnerable. What that ends up doing is making men a bit more disconnected because it's that ability to share your vulnerabilities and your feelings that alleviates loneliness. That's what connects you to people. But another aspect of it is that typically if you follow men and women through the life course, um, men still on average will spend so many years um, undisturbed moving through a work-based career. 
which means all of their social connections are work related. Mm. Whereas women have a more diverse movement through the years. So they'll um, work, but they'll also take time out, look after kids, uh, form mothers groups, uh, and, they, and their networks are more diversified. And I, and I think that gives them the capacity to form more and different relationships and find the right kind of people that they're actually going to sort of connect with on that intrinsic level, which makes them less lonely. There does seem to be a tendency for men's social connections with others to maintain a sort of a constant level while they're at work and then they retire and it drops because they suddenly disconnected from most of the people they know. How might you change that? One of the biggest things that we can do is have um, a system of parental leave, which means that both uh, mothers and fathers can effectively leave their job spend time looking after their kids equally and then both come back to their jobs equally. It just benefits everybody. Men can, can uh, connect both with their own children better, which is great, and potentially learn to be more emotionally expressive because they're interacting with, with tiny babies, which is great. Um, but they can form more diverse communities as well. I think that's one of the big things that can be done. Equalise the gender division of labour between the household and the paid sector. So just to kind of bring this to, to date, I guess, this is a weird time for everybody. Yep. And, and, you know, they're kind of uh, at least physically isolated. With everything that you've learned um, about loneliness and volunteering and trust and vulnerability, but if you were a local uh, official, how would you manage uh, people's well-being right now? And these are strange times. Um, <laughs> I, I like to think of it of the, you know, in, in these, in, insert negative adjective here, times. <laughs> you know, we could be doing a lot more um, to help uh, build a sense of community and keep, it, keep people connected. It's very hard to generalise across the world. I've heard about, for example, you know, the balcony singing stuff. It's, I think, in Italy. <laughs> yeah. You know, so you've got neighbours connecting. in my neighbourhood. <laughs> Like, that's just not going to happen in Australia because we don't, we're not a nation of singers, to be honest. There may be bar and karaoke, but otherwise forget it. A couple of things that, that are important. There should be greater attention paid to the impacts on single-person households. It's, it's a no-brainer. We've told everyone, stay in your house. But what if you live on your own? What's interesting, I've noticed, anecdotally this is, is the number of couples who actually are enjoying COVID because... Mm -hmm. As, um, as someone I know put it, it's like they've turned the volume down on life. You can spend time with your family and it's quieter and it's nicer and there's less pressure. And I've heard that from quite a few people, but they're all couples. And take it a step further than that, what if you're homeless? I've heard so little in any of the, the stuff I've been reading in the public area and domain about what's happening to homeless and transient people. I'm just curious what, uh, how you would help the homeless and single person households. With the homeless, we need more social housing. People shouldn't be homeless. It's horrible for them. It's horrible for the rest of society and it has a whole lot of flow on negative effects. In fact, half of them potentially end up in prison, which is effectively housing them anyway, except in a really shit way. So why not actually build proper social housing? For single people, we've got a situation where we have a lot of blanket rules about no, no contact. In Australia at the moment, it, we had a lot of international students who studied in our universities. They're not allowed in the country because we've sealed off the borders. And that's causing a lot of debate because these students um, are worth an enormous amount of money to our economy and to our higher education. Why doesn't the government foot the bill to allow these students to come back to Australia, quarantine for two to three weeks, and then allow them to be in the community and keep going with their studies? And, and on condition that if they ever leave the country while the, for the duration of their study and come back, they have, they have to pay for their own quarantine a second time around. We're not hearing a lot of this careful, balanced, 
thoughtful ideas, I think, at the moment. I think you can take that idea and apply it to situations of, um, say, single people and single person households. But why not have a situation where people who have self-isolated for a number of, I don't know, weeks are potentially allowed to, um, I don't know, register along with other people and then be allowed to to mingle and meet. At the moment, the government in Australia has, um, we, we've just had the launch of a thing called a COVID tracking app. And so the federal government here put out an app. You're not forced to, but they've encouraged everybody in Australia to download this app. It enables the government to detect where you are. It sounds like kind of like Orwellian, just, but you got to hear it to the end. Um, enables the government to know where you are and who you're with, who's around you. Uh, it doesn't enable them to like listen to your conversations, track your text messages, um, know anything necessarily that you're doing. It's as they've said, only going to be used for the purposes of if you happen to be infected, they can then work out who was around you mm. and who you've been around and they can go straight to contact those people and go, hey, you're a risk, you're around this dude who we know is infected. And they have promised that um, the data will all be erased as soon as COVID's done. We have the potential for creative solutions, micro solutions for different people. We, we, we don't have to do this one size fits all mass policy. I'm going to jump around a little bit. You've studied how American well-being would be affected if we live uh, like Australians. And I would love to hear. The study that we did was um, a comparison of um, the way that Americans spend their time and Australians spend their time. A number of countries around the world use surveys to measure how uh, people spend their time on a, on a daily basis. Um, the US does it and Australia does it. The US data that we had access to um, also asked about the emotions that people felt when they did certain activities and tasks. From this, you could build up a, um, an interesting kind of profile of the amount of time people spent being happy, whether they felt um, the, the good feelings they had in, in doing an activity out, outweighed or more intense than the, the bad feelings. This was a methodology developed by two people called Alan Kruger and Daniel Kahneman. And so we did a little experiment to say, well, let's look at how Australians spend their time. And then we'll, we'll match or rework the American time profile as though they were an Australian spending the time the same way. And then work out whether they were more happier or not. Like the good patriotic Australian that I am thinking Australia is the best country in the universe, blah, blah, blah. Um, <laughs> thought that, of course, when Americans spend their time like Australians, they'll um, be, you know, happier and having a more pleasant time. But the result was surprising <laughs> because it actually suggested um, that uh, Americans would be having less pleasant time if they followed the Australian profile. You might be, uh, be surprised um, because, you know, from the outside, Australia looks like a place where everyone's having a great time. Um, yep. And we often are. I just picture everyone cuddling with koalas all day. So that never happens. But <laughs> <laughs> long short of it was that. Um, in some ways, Americans' lives would be more pleasant if they lived like Australians. They wouldn't work as, as much and that would make their life more pleasant because you wouldn't spend time doing un, un, non-enjoyable um, long hours. But if they um, lived like Australians, they'd spend more time doing domestic household labour and that was uh, less pleasant amongst the middle classes of America anyway. It's more common to have um, cleaners, which I think you can hire because the wages are lower. In Australia, we have this higher minimum wage, so not many people hire cleaners to clean their houses, they're doing it themselves. But another part of the story, which I thought was really interesting, was uh, Americans are actually more social. They engaged in more social leisure time at home. And the way we, we interpreted this, my colleague and I, she was, she was um, American, by the way, um, is that Americans like to have people over for dinner. Because the American academics that I've known are always saying, 
come on over and have you know have dinner and they, and they invite people in their houses and they interact and mingle whereas <clears throat> australians you know we like a good um barbecue you know come over and have a barbie sort of thing but not to the same amount maybe because our houses aren't as clean <laughs> <laughs> there's an american tradition of of um sociability and civic mindedness there's a great quote by um alex de Tocqueville about americans are forever forming associations you know he was in awe of um this ingrained micro networking everywhere in america you know you, if you're going to do something you have an association then you have an association to set up that association and like you know there's so <laughs> much little little interactions going on all over the place which is great do you feel like you're going to start living more like americans as a sociologist, my take on that is actually globalization means everyone's living more like everyone. America is has enormous weight in the globalization of the world. It drags people towards its way of life, um, hugely because of its size and its ability to um, influence the world through through media. If you take the example of like planets in orbit, like yes, the sun is huge and, and planets orbit it, but also the sun orbits other planets. Everything affects everything. A bit. Um, and I think that the whole world is moving towards a globalized um, uniformity, the individualization of most people. Is that um, the argument just that society as around the world is becoming more individualized? Yeah. My co-authors and I, uh, we edited a book, it's called Emotions in Late Modernity, where we talked about how emotions are changing. Core to that change is that we are all living more individualized lives now. But the caveat I have to say is that well, I'm talking about Western societies when I say that, like I think it's different in China particular and in India. But in the in the Western society and to the extent the West influences other societies, and we're becoming more individualized. Uh, and that means we live lives where we <clears throat> pursue our own individual interests, we look after ourselves. Um, and that's fantastic because it gives us more freedom. But it's a problem because it undermines community connection. And that means that we both don't look after others as much and others don't look after us as much. This individualization theory, I think, drives a lot of the, the concern over loneliness in contemporary society today because it's not hard to feel more lonely when you feel like you're neither supported nor able to support or give back to your community. And actually, that is one really interesting thing about COVID in that it does seem to have generated a bit of a feeling, at least here in Australia, of... Um, community connection again in that even though we're stuck in our houses on our own we feel like we're doing it for the common good and and so is everybody else and so when you do go and see someone on the street people are nodding a bit more and waving a bit more and going how you going yeah yeah everyone goes yeah you know we're all surviving <laughs> a lot more grunting it's a good sign yes <laughs> <laughs> i feel like you boiled down a very complicated topic into a few sentences which is um impressive so thank you very much thank you very much for having me have this chat